0: All right, if you would, let's look in our confession this morning and go to chapter 27. Uh, We'll begin a new uh, chapter in our confession of faith this morning, dealing with the communion of the saints. Now, as we begin chapter 27, we're going to consider uh, a bit of what I've mentioned to you already this morning, a bit of a special study uh, regarding the Holy Spirit. Uh, We just spent a number of weeks in, of course, chapter 26 uh, dealing with the church and the various issues and the various aspects, the government of the church, uh, what the church was to be about. And the last two paragraphs of chapter 26, we dealt with the holding of communion between churches. And in a sense, chapter 27 uh, goes right along with chapter 26, Uh, just as was the key to communion and fellowship between churches. All communion and fellowship between all believers is found by the presence of the Spirit. And so this morning we're gonna deal primarily with the expression that's found in the paragraph number one of chapter 27 that says all saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head by His Spirit. So we're gonna deal with this week and probably for a couple of weeks, the presence of the Spirit. And what does this really mean? And we might say this morning, uh, why is this such an important and why would we take time to have, quote unquote, a a special study? Uh, Because one of the most misunderstood aspects of God uh, is the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit has tended to be What ignites a lot of tension between people because, quite frankly, there is the moving away from a biblical understanding of what the Holy Spirit's role and the Holy Spirit's purpose actually is. Uh, Again, we've moved in many ways away from uh, the, the biblical definition, and we've been seeing even our churches begin to lessen their understanding or just failing to acknowledge what Scripture actually says about the Spirit. Now this will not be exhaustive, of course, uh, but we are going to deal with a couple different aspects of the Holy Spirit and why this is important. Now let's go ahead and read the rest of that paragraph uh, right after where we uh, ended with by His Spirit. It says, and by His Spirit and faith, although they are not made thereby one person with Him, have fellowship in His graces, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory, and being united to one another in love they have communion in each other's gifts and graces and are obliged to do the performance of such duties public and private in an orderly way as do conduce to their mutual good both in the inward and outward man so this presence of the spirit is the very key to proper communion and proper fellowship one of those Portions of the Valley of Vision that we read this morning, it says, if Jesus were not by the power of his spirit my sanctification, there is no sin I should not commit. If it wasn't for the presence of the Spirit, there is no sin off-limits to us. We would be capable of committing any sin. So we know that the Spirit, even amongst the believer, has a restraining influence. The Spirit restrains us. The Spirit keeps us. Uh, It is not only confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord, but it is the very act of God's presence in us that allows us to even obey uh, the commandments of Scripture. Now, Romans 15, I read the first 20 verses, and we could have gone on and read the rest of that chapter, and you find that the Apostle Paul was talking about that very subject. He's talking about the power of the Spirit. In verse 13, he mentions the power of the Holy Ghost. In verse 16 of Romans 15, he says, "...being sanctified by the Holy Ghost." Verse 19, he says, "...by the power of the Spirit of God." And then at the final verse we read, he said, "...yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation." So very clearly, Paul is acknowledging that if it were not for the power of the Spirit, he would not even have preached the gospel. So we're beginning to see an unfolding of the presence of the Spirit and what the Spirit does. The Spirit not only makes our fellowship and our communion proper, but it is also the very agent in which the gospel is to be preached. There is no such thing as non-Holy Spirit preaching. There is no such thing as preaching that is not dependent upon the effectual, the effectual work of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit does not attend the word that's being spoken, that it is non-effectual. It is the power of God through the Spirit of God that converts the soul. And so the confession writers understood that even when we think about communion and we think about fellowship, the sweetness of being gathered together what binds us together is not even our common interest. What binds us together is the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're kindred spirits. We're kindred spirits because of the presence of the Spirit. Have you ever had those moments when you have been talking with somebody, and this is not, this is not to be a mystical But you just know as you talk with somebody else that you're talking with somebody else who is a believer. Your heart is being knit together because there is a common bond that is found in the Holy Ghost. So as we think about this, the confession writers, in this very first paragraph, this is the key that unlocks the rest of the passage and the paragraph. It is by his spirit that all saints are united to Jesus Christ, their head, by his spirit. So we understand that the Spirit of God is not just something we are to make reference to every once in a while. Uh, Even when we pray, um, it is very important that there is an acknowledgment of the entire Godhead. There's the acknowledgment of God the Father, there's an acknowledgment of God the Son, but we also should not neglect God the Holy Spirit. Some places you never hear the Holy Spirit invoked at all. Sometimes there's a prayer to God the Father, there's a prayer through the Son, but the Holy Spirit is sometimes seemingly ignored or neglected. Now, where did that come from? Why did churches begin to do that? Why did they start moving away from making reference to the Holy Spirit? Well, I truly believe this with every fiber of my being that it is because of the misuse and the misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit, especially in charismatic circles, that has created this to where now Bible believers are hesitant to even make mention of the Holy Spirit. They're even more hesitant to make mention of what the Scripture often uses, Holy Ghost. Oh, if we use Holy Ghost, now we're talking about those that are handling snakes and those that are charismatic. And, but the Bible talks about the Holy Ghost. The very first mention that the Apostle Paul wrote in this particular chapter, he says, through the power of the Holy Ghost, and he makes reference to that, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Hope comes from the power of the Holy Ghost. If you have hope today, it's because you have the Holy Ghost living within you. That's why you have hope. You're not hopeful because your circumstances are good or bad. You're hopeful because that is the presence of the Spirit. So, of course, we have the reality of a great need to understand what the Holy Spirit's purpose was. Now, when we think about what the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit, then we immediately need to understand there's there's a number of different ways we could look at this. We could take this from the perspective of the purely theological aspect of it, and we could figure, try to figure out every single attribute and every single working and every understanding that we could. That's not my intent in this kind of mini-study. My intent is, is for us to understand what it means to actually realize and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit and how that actually manifests itself in a group of believers. Because that's where people... are gods are going to see it. Uh, Again, we're afraid of experiential knowledge. We're afraid of that term. And again, if you read the writings of many of the Puritans, you will find that they often spoke of experiential knowledge or awareness. I'm not talking about mystical things. I'm not talking about weird meditations. I'm just telling you what they understood is they understood the real presence of the Holy Spirit, and they were not afraid to make mention of it. I was just thumbing through the the Valley of Vision this morning, and you will be shocked how many of those Puritan prayers actually mention the Holy Spirit. And yet it's misunderstood in our churches today. He is misunderstood. So we don't hear a lot about in our churches today about what actually happened when Jesus Christ told his disciples, it is expedient for you that I go away. Because if I go not away, then I, he would not be able to send the comforter unto them. An interesting verse that's in John 2, verses 20 and 27, it says, But you have an unction from the Holy One, but the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. Uh, the Holy Spirit is alive and well uh, in the believer today. Uh, you and I this morning did not begin our time together by asking the Holy Spirit to come down to us again, or to reoccupy this tabernacle. His presence is already there. There was no need for us to ask him to come down again. Uh, There is no need to ask for another quote-unquote Pentecost. There is no need for that because the Spirit of God is already dwelling the believer So what did the Puritan writers mean by the filling of the Spirit? What did Paul mean when he talks about the filling of the Spirit? Those are the kind of things we're going to talk about in this mini-study. Oftentimes, we are afraid to speak what Scripture says because we are afraid of being labeled fanatics. Uh, Again, there is not an insult to be a fanatic for God. That is not an insult. If you're labeled a fanatic for God, don't be insulted by that. Uh, that means that you are demonstrating something of a real evidence and a real belief in what you stand for. You know, the people we label fanatics who are wrong in their doctrine, we call them fanatics, but they are fanatical in the fact that they truly believe what they're talking about. Cults are wrong. Cults are, of course, They are not of God, but they are fanatical about it because they truly believe it. Sadly, they believe error. But we truly believe the presence of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, when he opened that particular chapter that we read part of it in Romans 15, he makes mention about, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. In other words, this presence of the Spirit begins to do things in our life that are not just simply things we say, well, yeah, the presence of the Spirit is there, but it does not really affect my outward living. Uh, You realize that this morning, our worship would not be acceptable to God if it was not done in the Spirit of God. So if we came here today and we tried to worship apart from the Spirit of God, it would not be acceptable to God. We could sing the same hymns. We could recite the same prayers. We could read the same scripture. But if it's not done in the power of the Spirit, it's unacceptable. Our worship is to be in spirit and in truth. When Jesus told the woman at the well in John four twenty four, that's what he was saying. She was talking about going to a place to worship God. And he says, no, no, no. The true believer worships in spirit and in truth. Our true spirit of worship is, is in the Spirit of God. So this chapter, Romans 15, is a very beautiful picture of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, not only in abounding in hope and the power, uh, but also being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, uh, mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, and the very preaching of the gospel is dependent upon that. Uh, It would be accurate to say that the very life of the believer is the Holy Spirit. Without God, without the presence of God, nothing would exist. You realize without the Spirit of God in this world, this world would not continue. This world would collapse as we know it. The Spirit of God's presence in this world. And again, he was just as much a part of creation. When the Bible says, let us make man in our own image, that was a reference to the Trinity, not just God the Father. But rather, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So, this is not a light matter. So, likewise, no believer would have spiritual life without the presence of the Spirit. Again, we've said this many times your evidence and your proof of your conversion and salvation is not what you prayed or if you prayed, it's the presence of the Spirit. If the presence of the Spirit dwells in you, then regeneration, conversion is there. If there's no Spirit, there's no salvation. I don't care how many things you've put away. I don't care how many times you've prayed the sinner's prayer. If the presence of the Spirit is not there, there is no salvation. So this Holy Spirit is the direct evidence that you are indeed a child of God. Which is why, even as we deal with it in Scripture, why works should follow because of the presence of the Spirit of God. So when Paul's talking about there, and we'll talk a bit more about this in verse 16 of Romans 15, he says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Uh, Paul even deals here with the work of sanctification, being done and performed by the Holy Ghost. So the churches of today need to be reminded that A very interesting study is if you go back and you look at the churches of the Reformation. Uh, Now again, not every church of the Reformation is a Baptist church per se. Uh, But if you look at the Reformation churches, there was a great emphasis placed on the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, It was not shied away from. It was not something that we just simply said, well, we'll make reference to it when it comes up in Scripture, uh, but rather it was emphasized greatly. Uh, Their great stress, the thing that the Reformers, and you you see this even in the Puritans as it went on, is that there must be a correct hermeneutic or a correct interpretation of the Scripture of the Bible And that that interpretation of scripture, now this is important, does not come from the church, but it comes from the Holy Spirit. In other words, to interpret scripture, I have to have the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Paul wrote about, that the natural man knows not the things of God. It's the spirit that gives understanding. Do you know that that was a a death blow to the Catholic church? Because the Catholic Church would say, the Church will tell you what you will believe. And people sat in darkness. And they just listened to what the Church said, here's what the Scripture means, and what it meant, or what they said it meant, is not what it meant at all. Part of the Reformation was exactly that. Now, again, we won't get into all the history this morning, but if you study what was going on at the time, uh, there were these issues uh, that were out in the, the churches uh, of the landscape. So it is the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to understand the Scripture. Uh, Spurgeon himself said, "...one of the most effectual ways for a church to revive herself is to preach much about the Holy Spirit." After all, he is the very breath of the church. And when a church, a minister, or a Christian finds that it is wintertime in his soul, they must turn to the Holy Spirit and cry, Quicken thou me in the way. So when you see the church growing cold, and you see the church growing apathetic, and you see the church that appears to be without life, it's often because the Holy Spirit of God is just being neglected. We are crying for things to take place in our churches. We're crying for revivals. We're crying for awakenings. There is no such thing without the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter how good a speaker or preacher is, that is not what reawakens a church. Now again, they were not praying for a coming again of the Holy Spirit. They weren't saying, we need the Spirit to come on us again. We get, uh, churches get this wrong and they get all emotional and they, they run forward to stairs and they say, oh, how we need the Holy Spirit to come in us again. No, you don't need the Holy Spirit to come in you again. The Holy Spirit is already there if you're a believer. You don't need a re-dosage. The Spirit doesn't leave us. So if the Spirit is there and the commands are there, then aren't we equipped and able to obey the word of God? So we need to understand the reality of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was, again, we would not agree with every one of their teachings. Martin Luther and John Calvin agreed on this thought. Both of them set forth with clarity that it is the Holy Spirit that is necessary in applying the sacrifice of Christ in our lives. Not the Mass or the Catholic Mass, but the Spirit. The Catholic Mass does nothing for their soul and it does nothing for their church that mass is doing nothing they said that's not what people need what people need is the applying of the sacrifice of Christ that's done by the spirit so when we ask ourselves this morning how many of us actually when is the last time we prayed for the power of the Holy Spirit to be evidence not only in ourselves but in this church just asking for the power of the Spirit. You know, before you have that conversation with that friend or that loved one, before you have that conversation with a co-worker or a classmate, how often do we pray and say, may I have the power of the Holy Spirit to speak truth unto them today? Oftentimes we're contented and believe that we are smart enough to speak the truth without the illumination of the Holy Spirit, because we've been at it for a while. Been saved 30 years. I think I know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter if you know what you're talking about. The Spirit of God is the only one who can give understanding to the black heart of the person you're talking to. People are pulling their hair out because people will not listen to their eloquence. The Apostle Paul wanted nothing to do with the philosophical Greek influences that he dealt with. He said, I must have the power of the Holy Spirit, or the words I speak are non-effectual. Paul didn't worry about his stage presence. Paul had no concerns whether or not his homiletic structures were proper. But four times minimum in chapter 15, he mentions the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Now again, when we pray for the power of the Spirit, we're also praying for the various aspects of the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit, what that ministry does, the unity that comes from the presence of the Spirit. To understand the grace of what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of His believers. We can't even love one another or anyone else for that matter without the Holy Spirit of God. So if you're having trouble loving other people, it's because the power of the love of the Spirit is not being yielded to you know sanctification is of the lord just as salvation is of the lord but it does not mean that we are passive participants where we're just sitting there saying okay lord sanctify me the spirit is doing the sanctification just like he does the saving but we are to apply those truths and we are to seek out those opportunities to love our brethren to love our neighbors. That's what led Paul to say, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That's what everybody wants. Everybody wants hope. Again, we're not talking about some secondary something subsequent to our conversion. We're not talking about a second baptism of the Spirit. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about what it was when we were baptized into the body of Christ and how that when we're baptized and that filling of the Spirit that comes over us, we're asking for that continual yieldedness to that power. So what is Paul doing in Romans 15, especially verses 13 and 19? In both of those verses, Paul is showing the absolute necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit, even in the life and the ministry of a church. Church growth is not the option for the sake of growth. But do you know that there is no growth of a church without the Spirit? It is not a marketing campaign. It is not the facilities that draw the sinner to hear the Word of God preached. It's not even the people. Because you know what happens if that's what draws a person to a place? They will not remain. Because they will find that all of those things will fail them. It will begin to grow stale. It will begin to grow, that's just not quite what I wanted. But do you know that when the Holy Spirit draws people unto Himself... If we truly believe in the doctrine of irresistible grace, which I firmly 100% believe, it will draw sinners into salvation. It will convert the soul. And as a result, there will be the filling of the Holy Spirit to where there will be fruit that follows that conversion. Paul did not write Romans 15 to a group of unbelievers as an evangelistic message. He wrote it to brethren who understood what the presence and the power of the Spirit was really to be all about. So he says this is the necessity of the Spirit for not only growth, but also for unity. Every ounce of ministry work that either goes forth from the pulpit or from each one of us as individuals, is the power of the Spirit is necessary for that work. God's word says, I will draw men unto myself. And I believe that. I believe there have been people who have shown up and will show up who were strictly drawn by the Holy Spirit to hear the word of God. Now, does that mean we should never invite someone to come hear the preaching of the word? Absolutely not. This does not exonerate us nor limit our responsibility. But I do believe that the Spirit of God draws even when we don't realize He's drawing. Some of you have shared with me your own testimonies to where there was the presence of God drawing you unto Himself and there was not a complete understanding of everything that was happening, but you can only give credit and glory to God saying, it's because of the Spirit of God that I'm even seated here today. It wasn't because I was sitting in a library and I was seeking for the Lord and I found it in a book on one of the shelves. It's the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who is gathering all of God's elect from all over the world. And that doesn't matter what time frame we live in. It was the Spirit of God that was drawing the Old Testament saint. It's the Spirit of God that's drawing the New Testament saint. And it is the Spirit of God that will be drawing until the time comes when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for his bride. So in those two verses, Paul makes mention of the necessity. But then again, notice in verse 13 of Romans 15, he says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through, what? The power of the Holy Ghost. He attributes this power of being filled with joy, peace, and abounding in hope. Folks, this verse alone is one of those one proof verses that ought to say that's why we really should not see believers who are not filled with joy and peace and hope because the Holy Spirit of God gives you all three of those things. Your joy has never nor will ever be dependent upon your circumstances because I'm telling you, your circumstances, if they haven't been, they will be bad at times. And if you're waiting for your circumstances or your lot in life to improve so that you'll be joyful, you're going to be waiting for a very long time. The Spirit is what allows us to abound. And the God of hope, the Spirit, fills us with joy and peace. Joy is not an absence of problems. It's not an absence of circumstances. Our hope is based upon something that is really, truly experienced. I know theological giants who are miserable people. And they're miserable because they don't have this experience of really knowing God. Knowing God brings joy and it brings peace. And we abound in hope. That's what Paul's point is, that this power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Here Paul clearly says that it is the work of the Holy Spirit that is necessary for the gospel. All gospel work, whether it's from the pulpits, Or in the streets has to be done by the Holy Spirit of God. Not all preaching is Holy Spirit led. I have been around it, I've witnessed it, I've sadly felt the terror in my heart of Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit less preaching and teaching. To where that's not being done based upon biblical truth. It's being built upon a man's soapbox. It's being built upon a man's, this is what I want people to follow me. It's his belief system. It's his quote-unquote hobby horse. It's not Holy Spirit preaching. It's motivational speaking. And it, it can be very, very deceptive. No one who handles the Word of God comes who's handling it properly with a desire to impress the hearer. They only desire to point people to Jesus Christ and knowing that it's fully dependent upon the Spirit to open the blind eye and to unstop the ears. Paul says it is necessary by many mighty signs and wonders. We're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. Because this is another misjudged interpretation of Scripture. That churches are beginning to slide back into what's near charismatic because they don't think the gospel preached in the Holy Spirit's enough. They think we need flashes of light and signs and wonders in the sky to really make people believe. There was a time when, as the Scriptures were being unfolded and as the apostles were where the Scriptures were being penned by the breath of the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, don't forget that, that the Bible was breathed. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And he moved the writers to write. The very essence of Scripture is the result of the Holy Spirit of God. So we see that this gospel work, Paul goes on to say, Yea, yea. So have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Of course, Paul was uh, talking about his, his mission by God was to take the gospel to places where it had not, yet, had not yet been received or preached. So in order for a church, in order for us to understand what it is that God Is calling us to, we have to see and have to understand that it is all based upon the power of the Spirit. Not upon the power of man, but on the power of the Spirit. Do we really believe in the power of the Spirit? Not some mystical thought, but the power of the Spirit that the power that can break the hardest of hearts. Folks, if I didn't 100% believe in the power of the Spirit, I'd resign today and go home. Because without the power of the Spirit, all that we do here is of no value. Because it's the Spirit that converts the soul. It's the Spirit that sanctifies the believer. It's the Holy Spirit of God that is going out into the world and is calling from the four corners of the earth. It's calling all who will be called into the body of Christ, all of God's elect. It has never, nor will it ever be dependent upon an individual's persona or the quote-unquote influence of a church. The saving of souls is not about influence. It's not about being the best thing in town. It's about the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is what saves. The Spirit is what leads the soul. We need a power to go into all the world. That power that the Apostle Paul spoke about in his epistles is the same power that the church today has. The Spirit today is not a lesser version of the Spirit. And see, that's the problem with the modern church today is they say what we really need in order to make the church successful is we just need to pray for another Pentecost. And what we really need is we need people to speak in tongues. Tongues. No, you do not. We're going to learn over the next few weeks, you're asking the wrong question when you make even the day of Pentecost about this tongue speaking because it was, that was not the primary issue. The primary issue is the number of people who came to Christ, not the power of tongues. It's never been dependent upon being able to speak in another language so that anybody can hear you. That's not what it's been about The presence of the Spirit is to understand that the very power that the church has been given the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel is dependent upon the power of the Spirit. That power and that yielding, that fruit that comes forth is a direct result of the power of the Spirit, not the power or the influence of that church. So how do we gauge the power of the Spirit in a local church? Is it by numbers? Or is it by on the works that are produced? It's by the works that are produced. Folks, if you have a church somewhere, this church has been there, when there's five people sitting there, that doesn't mean the power of the Holy Spirit is not at work. It's the, re, it's the fruit that results in their lives as a result of that. We're gauging everything by size. We're gauging everything by numbers. There are still churches today that are going to stand up today and a man's going to come up with a little piece of paper and he's going to stand behind the pulpit and he's going to announce to the church how many people were saved yesterday. He's going to say we went into this neighborhood, this neighborhood, this neighborhood. We had, we had 15 conversions here, 15 salvations here, 15 salvations here, 20 salvations here, 25 here. Uh, we only had five over here. Let's see what happens with the life after there is a profession of faith. Do you know most people who were saved in that manner never darken the doors of a church? So what happened? They've been led to believe that the only thing you needed to do was just make sure you don't go to hell. And if you'll just pray this. Instead of saying no, what needs to happen is the Holy Spirit of God has got to save that soul. He's got to open the eyes. He has to unstop the ears. That's the power of the Spirit. When we understand that we cannot even do the simplest Of ministry without the power of the Spirit. Even when we watch somebody obey the Lord in baptism, what do we say? I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son. Now go. No, the Holy Spirit is mentioned because it's the Godhead. We go in the power of God, we go in the power of the Spirit. You realize when two people were married, if it's being done proper, that wedding, those, that couple's being pronounced in the power of the Spirit, the power of God that's invested. You want to see a failed marriage, you're going to see a lack of the Spirit because the Spirit's presence must be there. It must be there in the partners because that's the very thing that makes us do what we need to do. The power of the Spirit when we affirm our faith, when we read through the Scriptures, when we read through our confession, when we even hear the Valley of Vision being read, which I know these are not inspired documents. The confession is not inspired as as great as the Valley of Vision is. It doesn't replace our Scriptures. But it certainly helps give us a picture of we affirm the presence of the Spirit in the very belief system that we have. If we say we believe in God... We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Even when a person leaves this earth, even when they step out into eternity, it is the presence of the Spirit that we have trusted to take that individual to the very presence of God. When the the confession writers wrote that, by His Spirit, all saints that are united to Christ are done and are united by the presence of His Spirit. There is no other connection. There is no other dwelling. It is through the presence. We'll deal with this more next week, but even as we begin to think about the Lord Jesus Christ and the incarnation when He came to this earth, what does it say in Luke 1.35 about what came over the Virgin Mary was that the power of the Spirit overshadowed her. It was the power of the Spirit when Jesus Himself completed the ministry work. The Bible says that the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove and abode on Him. It says that the Bible even says that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, again that the Father gave the Spirit above measure. and the Bible says in John 1: 132, Acts 10:38, John 3:34 and Luke 4:1, that Jesus himself was full of the Holy Spirit. Even the work of God, the work of the Savior, was done in the power of the Spirit. So next week we'll consider more about this ministry of the Spirit. And so we'll see, and we'll kind of work our way through these paragraphs by looking at various aspects of uh, the power of the Spirit. And so next week we'll deal primarily with uh, the ministry of the Spirit. Uh, well, let's conclude our time by singing the hymn 148. And when we sing that hymn, if there are any questions, uh, we'll take some questions right after we've uh, completed that hymn. 148, Relentless Love. We'll give you a couple minutes to think about uh, any questions that you might have. 148.